And welcome back to another week of the PCP Post. We're off our bye week and uh, here to keep everything going. Wow, that was a quick end of the music. Wow, that was abrupt. <laughs> just like the games today. Pretty much. <laughs> um, just like everything today. Just aside from that first one, everything just kind of ended with somebody scoring a goal that you're kind of hoping didn't happen. Um, well, in Toronto's case, it was a lot of goals. Um, anyway, welcome back to the Peachtree Post. We're off our bye week alongside Jason Longshore. I'm Jarrett Smith. Reporting from either side of the city of Atlanta to talk soccer about Atlanta, in Atlanta, for Atlanta. But tonight, special editions were live tonight covering the recap of the MLS playoffs. We'll take a look at that, take a look at what's going on with the Atlanta United. It's been a while since we've been out there, so get everyone caught up with that. If you aren't caught up, as well as U.S. national team as we're coming up on the hex, getting kicked into gear next week. Uh, Jason, though, we'll get started right away with the, uh, with the games that just ended. We'll start, we'll go backwards. We'll start with the game that just ended over in Dallas. Yeah, we'll try to make sense of of the four games that we've watched. Um, If we're slightly delirious, it is 1130 on the East Coast. Uh, Watched four games in a row, and it's the changeover of daylight savings time, which is ridiculous, so a little bleary-eyed. But um, ah, Seattle just had too big a cushion in in the the late game. Um, Dallas gave it a good go. I mean, you, you have to give them credit for that. They came out from the jump and, and went for it. They got the goal in the first half hour. You thought, you know, maybe there's something here. But as soon as, as Seattle got one, you just – you knew it was too much. Um, oh, yeah. It's a, it's a shame because, you know, Dallas just having to replace a player like Mauro Diaz with – like literally no time before the playoffs to do it because of the the timing of the injury. It was almost impossible from the beginning. And then to have the, the poor game in Seattle when they, you know, just didn't work out with the moves that Pereja made. It was always a tough ask. Um, I, what I really hope is that it doesn't diminish what Dallas accomplished this year. I mean, supporter shield and open cup doing the double um, is a just, amazing season um they got through in Concacaf. this should not diminish that i know in a lot of times it would because mls cup is what we really base our champion on and that's the most important trophy if you ask anybody in the league whether they like it or not that's the one this is a special situation with losing your your key player on the eve of the playoffs yeah it's it's not good and there, there were a couple of people complaining online about whether or not Pereja adjusted properly. I can't say one way or another. I know someone pulled, I can't remember who it is and I can't find it right now. Uh, pulled up the stat about how many crosses into the box we saw tonight that it was in the first half, they blew by their average. And they yeah, kind of had to change everything. Well, that's it. I, I didn't take that. It was uh, Matt Doyle, MLS Thank analyst who, who posted that first. And Hi, Matt. <laughs> I don't know if Matt was, was saying that, that Dallas was, if it was a bad thing or a good thing, I kind of took it as a necessary thing because as, as much as I've liked Mario Rosales over his career, he's not, he's not Diaz. He can't do the things that Diaz does. So they had to try to find another way. And they had decided you could tell in that first half, they had decided to attack Joven Jones. 
they were going to try to get down that side and make things happen from that side specifically and put in the crosses. And it's how they got their first goal. So you can't say it's a complete failure. Um, you had to try to find a different way without Diaz. You were, you were always going to be searching and it just, you know, it's, it's like if you, you're an NFL team and you lose your quarterback on the eve of the playoffs, you're, you're going to be stuck in a way and have to figure something out. And he, Sometimes you just can't. Yeah, that's how I viewed it, though, as well, is that it was more of a necessity than anything else, that it seemed more like they're crossing the ball out of the box because they need three goals at home. You just you got blitzkrieg in a matter of 12 minutes in the first leg. You had to do something at home, and you don't have your talisman. Well, you know, let's put it in the box and see what happens. And they got that first one in the first half, and my, my thinking was going into this, they need something within the first 15 minutes to go right. And I was thinking, you know, even, even like a lucky bounce or something, a near shot off the post, something to just invigorate right off the bat to go right. But even when they got that first one halfway through the first half, I thought, this is fine. If they get, an, if they get another one right before halftime or even right after halftime, that still would leave you with 35-plus minutes of chasing that last goal and trying to pin Seattle back. Yeah, they were in good shape. Um, I mean, you'd like to get a goal earlier than, than when they did, and you'd like to get two in the first half, of course, but they were fine. They were fine going into the break. They'd created oh, they created chances. They were dominating at the end of the first half, it felt like. Yeah, and it was a little bit of, of both. I mean, you know, they were they were playing well, and Seattle was comfortable. They could sit, and they could absorb some pressure. Um, it's just It was a shame. Uh the way things happen, you know, if you look at with Dallas, if they had had a Blas Perez like they did last year, those crosses could have been more effective. Um, or, you know, Maxi Arruti is a good forward in the system, but he's not as good of a forward in that, you know, launching crosses and trying to get on the end of it type of play. It's just not, you know, it's not his best, best fit. So, you know, but again, you didn't have a whole lot of options here. I mean, Rosales likes to drift wide too. So you didn't have that number 10 sitting there. So it was kind of just, this is what we have. These are the best players we have that we can put out here to go forward and let's, let's try to make it happen. And they went for it, but a three goal cushion is too, too much to, to overcome. Yeah. That's kind of where I put it is. There's a difference between just, we're going to cross into the box because, and we're going to cross it with intent, and we've got someone in there. Uh, it can be a fine line at times, but there were times where instead of crossing with intent, they were just, let's get the damn thing in the box, and maybe something bounces, maybe it lands at somebody's feet. Who knows, maybe it hits somebody's hand. Um, it got a little hectic at times, but yeah, like you said, it's just, it was too much to overcome. Uh, three goals, losing, uh, losing basically your quarterback. It was a lot to ask for, and you know, Seattle was very professional about the way they went about that game. I mean, they when they had the chance to put it away, um, it felt very fitting to me that Ladero was the one that basically buried it and punched the ticket. Yeah, and you do have to give a lot of credit there to Tyrone Mears as well for the the pressure on Zimmerman. Um, Zimmerman oh, really has had a back through the box. Yeah, exactly. Mears is a really good player. Um, kind of gets you know left out of a lot of that discussion in Seattle, but really good key player for them. And, you know, I've seen Zimmerman take a lot of criticism uh, in this series specifically, and he's had a four series. 
Um, he has had a breakout season this year. So, you know, let's see what, what happens with him. Um, there was talk late in the summer and early in the fall about some potential European suitors for, for Zimmerman. We'll see where that goes after the series, but he's definitely established himself as one of the best American center backs, you know, on the rise. It just made a bad mistake. Um, got caught under pressure, bad touch and can't do that this time of year. No, that's, and it's unfortunate. Um, but again, yeah, you, you're already, your back's against the wall. You can't make mistakes. You made a mistake. It happens. Um, I don't know if it would have made a difference even if it hadn't. That's um, true. But, but like I said before the air, I was, when they went up, when they went up two one and they needed three goals and Ruiz came on, I even tweeted out like the best thing in the world would be for Ruiz to come in and knock out like a 20 minute hat trick and just <laughs> bury Seattle with a 20 minute hat trick and then just, stand there and smile and wave at them as they walked off. I mean, El Pescadito is magic, but he's, he's not that much magic. <laughs> just the magic's, getting, uh, the magic's getting long in the tooth these days. Hey, I think he, I think he gave everything he had to get them that supporter shield with the, the goal there. So, yeah, you know, he, he more than, than earned his, his paycheck for the time he was in Dallas. And, you know, I, I've always been a, a Ruiz fan. Um, He's one of those players that if he's on your team, you love him. But if he's playing against you, he just drives you nuts. But I can respect that. And he he's had a great career. This is probably it for him. But I thought it was probably it for him two years ago. So you never know. Oh yeah, he'll he'll he he is the Julio Franco. I mean, that is that's what's <laughs> going to happen. He is he is Julio Franco. And so you're saying he's going to lead Guatemala into World Cup qualifying for 2022? Oh yeah. Maybe even oh, 2026. Geez. Oh, jeez. <laughs> My child is going to be playing, and he will be he will be there. I, that'll be great. Um, Carlos uh, Ruiz will be the new Roger Mila from oh Cameroon, playing Ooh. in his four, early 40s. <laughs> um, anyway, let's, let's get away from <laughs> yeah. that before time catches up to all of us. Um, next game up. Um, so, New York, uh, <laughs> which, which one do you want to go into? <laughs> Ooh, uh, let, let's start with the the shellacking at Yankee Stadium. Uh, I threw used that at Yankee Stadium this year. I mean, yeah, it, wow, was, it was a bad year, in New York. Whew. Yeah, yeah, it was. Oof. Um, pretty much everything that could go wrong for for NYCFC did in this one, but again, to me, it all went back to the second goal in the first leg that was pretty much a hustle play out of Josie Altador. That set the table here because NYCFC is just not good enough defensively to be able to play an open, a very open style. Like they had to two goals down. So they were going to get caught. They did early. So there was no drama in this one. It was, it was over fast. Um, uh, it's it's interesting what happens with NYCFC. You know, I put the question out there on Twitter, like, you know, where do they go from here? And there was a, a really good response comparing them to, well, and, and Paul Tenorio wrote something great on 442 as well about how Toronto was in this situation. Um, it was uh, Du Nord, who's a great uh, Twitter follow if you're, you're checking up on what's going on in Minnesota. Bruce said that defense asked Toronto, it took them 10 years to focus on it. 
And he's dead on because Toronto was New York City SC before. They had they had an attacking style. They had no defense, and you don't win championships that way. You don't get far enough along in the MLS playoffs that way. And Toronto realized it, and they they put together a defense and put together the right pieces this year to to carry the rest of of their squad. NYCFC is going to have to invest in their back line moving forward because it's not good enough. And you get caught in these situations when, you know, you're 2-0 down going in, you have to open up, but you have no back line to protect you. So you're, you're just done. That's fine at all. I just want to talk about Chiavinko. Oh, he's a beast. I mean, they just let, they just set him loose and New York city did not have an answer for that. No, but not many people do. I mean, he's Uh-oh. just his first touch is just stupid. I mean, the the one the first goal, the turn, it was like I was trying to think. It reminded me of another goal, and I'm thinking, what was it? What goal was it? Oh, it was Giovinco's goals. I mean, that's what he does. <laughs> he has that really quick turn, and he he passes to himself into space, and he finishes. I mean, it's just. He's a world-class player. Yeah, and the, the, the touch was perfect. It was just – it was off the side of his foot. Like, I think it was kind of behind his back. Yep. Like, he, 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 he hit it perfectly with the right angle of his foot with just the right amount of weight to it so that when he turned around, it was just sitting there smiling at him. And I wanted to just throw things because I was jealous. He's, he's ridiculous. And, you know, that's the players that we need to see more of. I think – it's going to be an interesting off season across the league, not just because of Atlanta United and Minnesota coming in and all the expansion craziness. There's going to be a lot of older players who are out of contract or are going to be leaving teams. Um, and I think you're going to see a new way of spending and signing designated players. And Giovinco is part of that wave because you're going to see less of an emphasis on your Lampards, your Gerards, your Pirlos, and more on your Giovinco's, your Piatti's, your Valeri's, your players that might not be as big of a household name, but are just amazing players. Hey, it, you become a household name by winning me trophies. I mean, to put it bluntly, yep. I mean, it's like, oh, he's not a household name. Yeah, but he won you a trophy. So, that's how he becomes a household name. Everyone starts out as not a household name at some point. Best way to get there is to bring home the hardware and to, frankly, in this day and age, make the highlight reels. Not that that hasn't been the thing in the past, but in an age where we can put your highlights up in a matter of seconds and spread them around the whole damn world, just being really, really good at what you do and rather merciless is a good way to go about it. It's a different time for the league. Um, when you look at when they signed David Beckham, they needed to become relevant. And I think they're past that. You know, countries all over the world are buying up the TV rights. The relevance is not really the issue now. Now it's raising the quality. And I'd rather see them focus on quality than name. And you can do that through these types of players. I mean, Giovinco is kind of a special case in the club he was at. He wasn't getting the time. He'd already been on the fringes of the Italian national team, but he wasn't getting 
time at Juventus. Toronto came in with an offer that made it worth it for him to make the jump. And it's been a great thing for his career. And it's been a great thing for the league. The South American players are a little bit different situation, but again, you get great value for your money and you get players who are amazing players. The quality on the field has to improve across the board to take the next jump for MLS. And that can happen with smart signings this off season across the league. And I think that's, I think you're right. I think that's what we'll see, which I know you and uh, the big boss Rob have been covering all of, you know, potential expansion targets for Atlanta. And the more and more I look at it, the more and more I think about it, the more it makes sense that we could see a lot of these older players with contracts be available that, you know, kind of dangle them out there, see if an expansion team will take some of those older players and their contracts and free up space to chase after young, more explosive talent, maybe not as well known, but that you can put under contract and, develop and just basically create a more explosive product with yeah you got to pick your spots on the older players now you know i was also just right before this you know raving about carlos ruiz and that signing that's different you know lana donovan bringing him back at the time la did that was different that was a short-term thing that was to fill a very specific need um, there's other cases where you go and this is across all sports i mean we've, we've seen it you know with pretty much any team in any sport you can name where you get into a mid-season situation and you need a center back. So you go get a center back. And if he's 35 years old and he's only going to play six months for you, then that's what you do. That's different than signing a marquee player. A marquee player has to be somebody who can live up to it. And it can't be somebody who is, you know, constantly missing time because they're injured, constantly missing time because they don't want to play on turf constantly missing time because they don't want to be on the bench. Hello, Didier. You, you can't have those <laughs> things happen um, with your marquee players. It's just that hurts the league more than anything. So got to make the right signings. That's it's a uh, key thing this off season. Speaking of Didier, um, we're getting, in, we, we talked for a while about an all New York final. We're getting an all Canada final. That's nuts. I know, it's, and it's allegedly not. they're going to play in Olympic in the Olympic Stadium in Montreal, which sees like sixty-one thousand people. Yeah, that's a definite now. Um, Montreal is going to host the first leg at the Olympic Stadium. Um, you have to give a ton of credit to Mauro Biello, Montreal's manager, because how many managers in this league would would bow down to whatever Didier Drogba wanted, and Biello stood up to him and I think he actually galvanized this team because they kind of went into a bit of a funk late in the season and it was it was driving me crazy because I thought they've had as much talent as anybody in the league but things yeah, they weren't were really, right they were really up and down every time we ended a show by looking at the standings they were doing something different they were on a roll they had fallen apart they were just kind of treading water it was you're right. It was definitely it was something different every time, and it was really inconsistent. And I could see how following this team would make you want to tear your hair out right now. Yeah, but I think this whole thing with Drogba, like I think that was part of the reason there was a problem, and I think it's part of the reason why they've come into the playoffs so strong is Biello put his foot down and said, no, this is, this is about the club. This is not about you. And you've seen other players step up um, – Mancuso is 
or Manco, I always pronounce his name, Manco, Mancosu. Sorry, I want to say it the other way. Um, one of the best signings in the league, and he's not talked about at all because, again, he's not a huge name. But he's exactly what they needed. Uh, Nacho Piatti not being in the finals of the MVP race is criminal because he is the guy on that team. It was never Drogba who carried that team. It was Piatti. And he showed it tonight. I mean, the guy is is deadly on the counter. Um, technically, like his, his technique might be the best in the league. Um, just an amazing player and a great signing. And Montreal Toronto is going to be a fun series. I got to, I got to dig into this one because, you know, my, my gut tells me it's just going to be a wild series and I don't know who comes out of it right now. I'm leaning Toronto just off the bat without really digging into it. Um, But I know that as I say that um, Montreal will just come out and sucker punch him in the first leg. Like, and get see, like two I'm, goals and... I'm leaning Montreal because of that, because I think Toronto has, has definitely turned the corner and, and they're absolutely legitimate now, but I'm not sure if they're strong enough yet to handle Montreal's, you know, counter punching style. And if, if Toronto gets frustrated in that first leg, with the counterattacks and Montreal pops one, maybe pops two. It's going to be tough. Um, I would probably lean Montreal at the moment, but I want to dig into some of the individual matchups and see kind of what it, what it'll look like. But you know, the other side of Montreal series is the Red Bulls. And I just want to give a question a hug. Oh man. I mean, I love, I love Sasha question. And that was just, he had a really bad day. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Um, so, I mean, the, the whole team did. And that's the thing about the Red Bulls is this is becoming a recurring thing. Um, great regular season and just not getting it done when it matters. And this year, I think with the Red Bulls, you saw a lot of situations throughout the year where they fell apart late. And it's not the way it went down today. Today was a little different, but and his series was a little different in general, but they just haven't been able to get it done when it matters. And you have to wonder, is that coaching? Is that leadership on the field? Is it, you know, just the roster in general? What's the problem? I don't know. I mean, I lost track today of how many goals I, okay. They missed the penalty question. Like 10 minutes later shoots at a tight angle and shouldn't have had that much room when he shot. Um, and I think if he puts a little English on the ball, it goes in. He shot a really a straight ball and it just missed right. the post. Um, they probably left. I count off the top of my head at least four goals they left on the field just with misses that were just frustrating to watch that I thought they should have finished. I understand why they missed, but that I don't think it was unfair to ask a professional team to finish. And I felt that they left goals on the field and they let – you didn't you didn't come out and get that first penalty. You gave Montreal a little bit of momentum. You know, Piatti just goes out and just goes bonkers on everybody. And you gave Montreal that front foot where they can basically get out, create a little bit more breathing room. And after that, it was pretty much done. Yeah. The thing about the Red Bulls to me is, 
depressing style that's their trademark it, it definitely has got them this far but they have to develop some alternatives to that um i i, I should have written it down um i think lawless said it uh during the new york city game actually where he, he he was kind of railing against people talking about you know teams with a style of play and this and that and he was like there's only, you know, I think he said three or four. I can't remember what number he put on it. Teams in the world who have a, a completely defined style of play, and that's how they play. And he was talking about New York City being one of them about playing out of the back, which I, I don't think was 100% true of where he was going. But the Red Bulls have a style of play. This, this pressing style is definitely a style that they stick to. The problem is they don't have a way to – do anything different and you get into situations in a season in a, in a game let alone the whole season where you're gassed you, your team is gassed you need to change you need to sit more you need to change your your confrontation line you need to give them the ball in their own half whatever it is you can you can make tweaks or you can make big changes and in a season depending on your roster and they've had a ton of injuries this year. So they haven't been as deep as they probably would have liked. You have to be able to adjust to fit what your team can give you at any moment. And you have to be able to adjust to, to match what the opponent is going to give you. And Montreal wanted them to press because that's, that's going to fit Montreal's counterpunch. So, they need to develop a plan B. And I think, you know, for the longest time, the complaint about MLS was, you know, teams didn't have a style of play and tactically the league was, was naive or innocent or whatever. You know, now I think you're starting to see where teams have only one way to play. And it's kind of the next step has to happen now where you have teams that can do you know one thing and then change it up when they need to. And that's something that, you know, I think we've talked about before when it comes to Atlanta and Tata Martino, that's something that he should bring to the table and it should be very you know unique in this league to have a team that will play differently from game to game, depending on the situation. Yeah. That's um, the more I think about it, the more I think, are we going to see this again? Uh, with Toronto and Montreal, where maybe in the first leg, Montreal goes out, gets that quick one or two in the first game, and then just sits back, invites Toronto into the game. Here comes Drogba on in the 75th minute, and he does what he did tonight, which is come on, look really good, and provide just the dagger that just takes the air out of the entire tie. It could. I mean, Montreal changed their style. They they were not this you know, complete counterattacking team midway through. And they realized, again, all credit to Biello, they realized that they didn't have the horses to play the way they wanted to. They had to change it up a bit. And they had some older legs. And, okay, we can sit. We can soak up some pressure and then hit them on the break. And you have, you know, Dominic Oduro is one of the fastest players in the league. That helps you have a dangerous weapon counterattacking, and you have Piazzi who can make you know something special happen out of nothing. So it's a perfect fit, and it fits what they can do. We'll see how it matches up with Toronto. Um, you know, just from what you saw tonight, you're going to see Toronto want to take it to them, and 
you know, really be on the front foot and play through Giovinco and play through Altidore. And Jonathan Osorio is a real key for Toronto. You know, a lot of people look at Bradley in that midfield. Bradley can sit more because Osorio is so good. But Montreal is going to want to invite that pressure and encounter. So, you know, tactically, it should be a fun series to watch. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and I know you, you touched on this, and I wanted to get your opinion real quick before we jump to the next game and kind of keep moving here. Um, Red Bulls, wholesale changes or tweaks for them? What do you think is the, the right move going to the next year? If it was me, it would probably be more of, of tweaks, but there's been some rumors out of New York about bigger changes, um, I mean, involving lots of players. So I don't know what's going to happen in Red Bull next year. Um, I don't see them going back to the, you know, kind of the older days of Red Bull with a Thierry Henry and a Tim Cahill and, and players like that, but you know, are you going to see maybe a little more investment? Are you going to see some players like Dax McCarty uh, possibly look, you know, possibly leave, possibly go somewhere else? Uh, we already talked a lot about Gonzalo Verón and how he just has not fit in with Red Bull. And, you know, I, I think a lot of us are hoping he'd be available to Atlanta United because he could be a better fit here. I don't know. Um it's going to be very, very telling to see what the reaction is early this week out of the New York media and out of just the club itself and see what some of the things that are said. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be shocked if, if anything happened with the leadership, with your Jesse Marsh, with Ali Curtis, with that, that level of the club. But could there be some bigger changes on the roster than you think? Um, could be. I mean, it, it might be time to freshen it up and it might be time to try to change some things to, I, I don't know if, if Marsh is starting to look at some of the things we talked about and say, well, you know, I need other ways I can play. Maybe I need to bring in some different players to be able to do that. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it doesn't need an overhaul, but you might need one. Yeah, that's, um, I'm kind of in the same boat. I don't think you need one. And I think if you do one, are you going to risk, you know, maybe trying to spend the next season figuring things out and you might have a rough season. If you do that next year, do you really to risk that? If it means getting the right thing, getting the right system set into place, getting the right players set into place and figuring out what you want to do. I think that requires a lot of patience and we'll see if they have that patience. Yes. Yeah, sometimes you have to do that though. Um, I, I, hard... I don't disagree at all. Yeah, it's it's a hard pill to swallow, but sometimes you have to take that step back to take two steps forward. And New York could be in that boat because they seem to be maxing out what they can do with what they have and the way they're playing. So something's got to give, and I'm maybe not, that's what happens. I'm not saying they're like the Hawks were, but because you know they're at least making conference fun, uh, conference semis, which is about where the Hawks were. So yeah, they're kind of like the Hawks were during that era. Uh, of the Joe Johnson era, like you, there was a, there was a ceiling and you hit that ceiling. It wasn't getting you, unless something weird happened and you know, in soccer, something always weird can always happen, but there wasn't a visible ceiling beyond what you were at. And you had to blow it up at some point because you can either ride this one out until it fades or you can blow it up, but it's probably not going to consistently get above where you're at right now. I actually think, 
the the current Hawks situation is an even better fit for what Red Bull's going through where, you know, you had the, the first year with Budenholzer where, you know, you win the Eastern conference, you're the number one seed. Um, you take it as far as you can in the playoffs and lose out in the Eastern conference finals. And then you take a little bit of a step back the next year. So then you're coming up to some contract time on players and you decide that, all right, my, my four guys, I've got, you know, one who, I have another player at that position. It's going to be cheaper, and I think he's going to give me more in the long run. And New York has some players like that. They have a, a strong academy. They're going to have some players that they might say, you know, Dax McCarty, we, we've loved you. You've been a great player for us. But we have this kid coming up who we think is going to end up being better, and it might take two years to get there, but we're willing to, to make that roll of the dice now. And then the biggest thing to me in the, that comparison is, you, know, you see the Hawks with now, you know, moving Al Horford, letting him go and bringing in Dwight Howard. You have a completely different look with the Hawks. They have a different weapon that they never had before. That's something New York has to find is they need that different option because I think what they have, they've done as well as they can with it. So they need something. And you know, this year for the Hawks might be that step back to take two steps forward next year as Schroeder develops, as they develop, a, you know, a different style with a post player that they haven't had. New York might do that next year where they kind of evolve into the next wave of not constantly pressing all the time and conserving energy and picking ways to do it and having some variables in their, their tactical setup be curious to see if Marsh can make that leap and if the front office can give him the pieces to do it. Yeah, that's, I mean, time and pieces, um, two things that sometimes are in short supply, sometimes are in long supply. Um, time was certainly in long supply today with the first match. And that got me excited. Cause I thought, Oh, we're going to have like, we're going to have a day of like really close matches. And the first one of the day with LA and Colorado, uh, one, nothing going into the game. Amazing goal that probably couldn't be replicated about halfway through and then let's just ride it out to penalties and okay this is going to be fun uh everyone else just decided to kill their games off rudely uh but this one like it kind of set the stage for a lot of fun today yeah ridiculous goal from gashi um i always thought this one was going to come down to to something individual. Uh, I thought they just canceled each other out a little bit too much in terms of, of the way the teams played and it was going to take something special. And it did. I mean, Gashi was that, that goal was amazing. I, I think you saw the galaxy's age really show as the game went on, you know, you, and then you also saw on the flip side, Colorado lost some players due to injury and, you know, Jermaine Jones came back and played longer than anybody thought and was more effective than anybody thought he would be. But he had to come off. Gosh, he had to come off at halftime with an injury. Um, you saw Colorado have to turn to, you know, some lesser players, and they couldn't play at the same level they were. You saw L.A. have the, you know, flexibility to turn to some veteran players. But in the altitude – in that game, as it went on, you could see the legs get heavy and you could see probably, well, once extra time started, you could see that it just, neither team really had much left in the tank. And, no, it was going to penalties unless somebody did something really stupid. 
Yeah, and when you come down to penalties, I mean, it's it's always a crapshoot. And, you know, Howard made a couple saves. Uh, I, I think the, the stage was really set with Giovanni Dos Santos's poor effort, and that kind of just wrecked the momentum for the Galaxy. And that's – when you play for – you know, I don't think the Galaxy were, were playing for penalties. I just don't think they really had anything to – <laughs> to get another result. I think they were just done. And it's it's going to be a lot of changes in L.A. as well. You know, we're talking about the Red Bulls making changes. Um, you know, I think we can can all agree that this is the end for Steven Gerrard. Uh, Robbie Keane was deemed to not be good enough to start over Alan Gordon, which I actually agree with. I think it was for what for where the Galaxy were at the end of the season – they were better with Gordon up top than, than Keane. But is he going to be back next year? Uh, is Bruce Arena going to be back next year? He's he's out of contract. so Just call Siggy. Oh. It's fine. Uh, well, that could be an option. Um, L.A., the Galaxy are in an interesting place in their franchise's history right now because – you know, you have LAFC on the horizon, and LAFC is going to do basically what the Galaxy did, but even bigger. You know, they, they want to be Hollywood completely. So is this the time where the Galaxy say, okay, we don't have the, the resources and the firepower to compete with your 100-plus owners with tons of money and Magic Johnson and Mia Hamm and all these people – so maybe we're going to turn into more of the local team, team of the people, develop talent. I mean, if, if you're just looking at it on paper, this could be the time they do that if they, if they want, because you have young talent that hasn't had a spot to play because of the, the veterans. You can change over the manager because, you know, Bruce was never going to play the, the young kids, especially at this point in his career. He's trying to win another championship before he retires. So is this the time that they say, all right, we're going to, we're going to go youth and we're going to go youth in a big way. And we're going to let LAFC be the Hollywood team. Now. I don't know. I don't know if that's where it's going to go, but it could be, I just, I think the ownership and I think the front office uh, for the galaxy have a lot of questions this off season because of that specter of LAFC. See, LAFC seems like that team to me that if a team is going to, if there's a team out there that, you know, whether they can get him or not, get them or not, that offers a guy like Pulisic or a guy like James, it's going to be them, whether they can do it or not, that are going to like reach out and say, Hey, what's the number? Um, Not to say that that's what they would get, but they're going to have the money to go out there and throw the cash around and to throw the name around, like you said, to make the Hollywood name. Um, As far as the game went, I'll go one kick before that for you that really helped set the tone. Um, I forget who it was for Colorado took that first penalty. And I mean, lucked snuck it in under the keeper's leg on the dive. Yeah. Yeah. That very easily could have been saved. And it was a really lucky ball that it went in. It wasn't a great penalty and sneaks in under the leg. Cause then it could have been one, nothing LA up and Dos Santos up there. Maybe he's, maybe he's in a different mindset. Uh, maybe he buries that into the upper 90 or something, and then it's 2-0 and all the pressure's on. I, I think that first one that got through, it helped set the pressure. 
and it was weird, but we've seen weird shootouts for the last two years where uh, this one wasn't as weird as the uh, Portland one last year, but we've seen some weird stuff go on. Yeah, it's the double whammy. I think you're right. So, you know, Colorado gets the the goal that's kind of lucky, and then Dos Santos skies it, and the Galaxy is like, oh, here we go. We're done. And sometimes that happens in these things. You know, it's it's so fast and so much pressure. You know, one momentum swing can can turn it, and maybe that double whammy of those did. I Colorado, I have to give them a ton of credit. Um, Pablo Mastrini, who I've not been a big fan of as as manager for the last few years, has has figured out something that works. Uh, it's not the prettiest thing to watch, but it's effective, and that's that's what it needs to be. It's it's very shocking to me that there's even questions about Mastrini not being back in Colorado. Uh, I think his contract is up, and they they hadn't agreed on anything yet. And if you're gonna stick with him through the the tough years, which were the last couple, why do you think about making a change now when it's actually going right? That just makes no sense from a from the club's perspective to me. So. I'm not a fan of it, but you've written it out this far, and now he's he's getting places with it. So I, I don't get it. I, I don't see how he's not you know already signed for next year, unless you're just gonna blow it up. Which I mean, it's Colorado. You're not gonna turn into you know one of these teams that's gonna spend a ton of money. You're gonna have to deal with what you have, and I think he's kind of done that this year. Yeah, that's um. That's a, that's a see this whole this whole game to me was just it it was it was this kind of the slow slog. It kind of encompassed what I expected from both teams and kind of what I expect going forward from both teams that you know Colorado can still just be that team that's they if they get a goal up like if they get a wonder goal like that, uh, they can just shell up like a damn tortoise and call the day. Um, they could totally do that against Seattle. I'm actually I, really I think they will. I, that that could be that could be some really ugly that could be a really ugly game to watch at some points. Um, one of those ties could just be really unwatchable, where both teams just or with where you know Colorado just gets in a shell and just starts deflecting bullets left and right. It's going to be the same. It's going to come down to the individuals, and it's going to end up being you know can Ladero make something special happen? Can Gashi make something happen? As you know. Uh, Osvaldo Alonso and Jermaine Jones, those battles in the midfield. It's going to come down to individual battles because I think tactically they'll cancel each other out. Um, so we'll see where that one goes. I think the Eastern Conference final, just with Montreal and Toronto, like styles make fights, and I think they match up really well for an interesting game. And you throw in the fact that they hate each other, that makes it even better. So that – yeah. You know, the, the, we're in a – I don't think anybody expected this Final Four. Uh, no. We'll see where it I goes. Thought, I, thought, I thought if Seattle got in, they could wreck shop. I didn't think they'd get this far, honestly. I, mean, I thought they'd get into the conference semis and, like, make a game of it. It landed for them. I mean, when you get Dallas without Diaz, uh, it, fell, it fell right for Seattle. And then you had that great first leg, so – I will see. And we got some time now. We have the international break coming up. Um, We'll see how these teams heal up and rest up. And 
looks like we've got November 20th for the Western Conference uh, on FS1. And then Montreal's hosting Toronto on a Tuesday night, the 22nd, which some people have been upset about. But that's just sometimes stadium availabilities and TV slots. It happens. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll jump to other stuff here in a second, a quick hit. Uh, but quick first question for you, um, Jason, and just quick hit question, yes or no. Um, did Seattle find their coach for next year tonight? Well, they'd already did actually – Did he lock in the lock in the spot with no question asked? I guess is where I should he, go here. He did it in the first leg because they had already said okay. that he was going to come back. They had announced it to their – it was kind of weird the way they handled it. They announced it to their um, – I think it's the supporters council – and then they kind of threw it up on social media afterwards. So it wasn't really hype too big that Schmetzer was already coming back. Um, I, it's, it's a, I think we've talked about it. It's a tough spot because I think Loggerway wanted to go in a different direction, but the results, you, you couldn't change. Schmetzer did too good of a job. It's the same thing in Colorado. I don't think they can really justify changing from Master Any because he's, he's done a good job at this point, he has. So... There you go. All right. Um, quick hit says we're about to run out of time. Um, not really, but we're slowing things down or speeding things up. Uh, quick hit at Atlanta. We'll get back towards the local scene. Uh, email came out this week. If you are a season ticket holder and founders member, you probably got this email. You probably saw it. You probably saw posts. You probably got hashtag mad online or not mad online. Either one. Um, people had opinions, but uh, the first email went out from the team about dealing with playing at Bobby Dodd stadium and basically what you can expect in terms of compensation, because it's not going to be the same experience as that giant apparatus they're building downtown. looks like a camera aperture, um, a beautiful camera aperture, but a camera aperture. And um, expensive one too. A very expensive camera aperture. And I, yeah, they blank can't be happy about paying those over. It just, I know he's not, um, but what was your thought on uh, all the stuff that came out with the emails? Well, we had said that, you know, the biggest challenge was going to be, you know, how they would handle club and the VIP types of seating. And I made the best of it. You know, it, it was a, an imperfect situation, but they decided to, you know, take the Bobby Dodd option so they could have home games before. And also now that looks like there's going to be some, you know, more delays on the stadium from where they were talking originally. Um, I get it. It's, it's what was necessary. And I think they're making the best of it. Um, most people have been, I think, satisfied. I would say I haven't seen as much outrage after the concessions that they've offered and, the benefits they've offered to season ticket holders. So I think it was really the best thing they could do. Um, it's not perfect. And some people are still going to be upset and people you know, are I always think, going to be upset. Well, there's that. Yeah. I mean, you get that balance. You, you're going to have the people who are always upset about everything. And I'm kind of just putting that to the side. I think there's some people who have legitimate reasons to be upset and hopefully the club will, you know, we'll take care of those on an individual basis. Um, and you know do the best they can with it and by all accounts they will uh you know i I think they've they've tried they've put forth a good effort to do the right thing i'd say consistently since the team started so you know they'll 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 do their best but it's never going to be exact and it's never going to be perfect in this situation because 
Bobby Dodd Stadium is not the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. No, it's not. Um, I like the fact that everything's kind of – some of this stuff is going to be on a sliding scale based on how many games they play there. So I think that's, yeah. um, that's, that's a benefit to you as the consumer and as the fan if you're going to be going. Um, I like the idea of giving out single-game tickets as well because I've been talking about letting people like, oh, if I don't go to a game, you can have my ticket. But I'd rather not if I'm going to go. So you here, you take this one. Just leave me alone. Um, that's all I want. I just want to be left alone. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I like the sliding scale. I think that benefits greatly. Um, a quick hit on the rumor about a possible goalkeeper. Yeah, a goalkeeper we all like. Yeah, that one came out of nowhere. Um, Grant Wall usually doesn't do that either. So that was that was interesting. Um, Nick Raimondo is the I'm going to go ahead and say it. He's the best goalkeeper in MLS history. And if he had come along at a time that there wasn't a Tim Howard and a Brad Guzan in the national team picture, he would be the number one and there'd be no questions asked. If Nick Raimondo was two or three inches taller, there wouldn't even be a concern about it because Nick Raimondo is an amazing goalkeeper. He's also nearing the end of his career. I think he still has a few years left in him, but he is nearing the end of his career. Real Salt Lake is one of these teams, just like uh, we've talked about tonight with some of the teams getting knocked out of the playoffs, that is going to have to look at an overhaul. And they're going to have to move on from their key players who, you know, Jason Christ put together in a squad and rode out. And now Jeff Kassar has kind of rode it out as far as he can. Javier Morales has already announced that he will not be back in Salt Lake. We don't know exactly where he'll be or if he's retiring, but he's not coming back to Salt Lake. He said his goodbyes. Uh, there's rumors about Kyle Beckerman and what's next for him. And now Grant Wall saying that Atlanta is interested in Nick Raimondo. It's, it's interesting in the sense that, you know, we've talked about there being a lot of goalkeepers available. So, yeah, I don't think we ever really considered this type of option where you're going to grab a starting level goalkeeper from another MLS team because we expected, you know, uh, McMath or, you know, one of the New England goalkeepers or Jimmy Maurer from the Cosmos. If I want a guy there's, who's there's, going to be getting, if I want a guy who's going to be catching shade from the U.S. national team, I'll just get Bill Hamid. <laughs> I don't think that one's going to happen. I think he's going to Europe soon. Um, Good for him. Get that yeah. money. Exactly. Uh, I think the question that it comes down to in this is one that we've we've said a lot of times on similar types of talk is what's the salary cap number going to be? Do you renegotiate a contract with Raimondo, um, give him a couple, two to three years, you know, promise him a, a coaching role afterwards and you sign him and you get him at, 250 to 300,000 a year, you can make that work. And you have to remember that Atlanta United is going to have more allocation money to play with too. So some of these types of contracts that are, you know, on the higher end before you get to designated player status can be bought down some with allocation money. And Atlanta can probably swallow some of those contracts a little more than other clubs could. So Ramondo would give you veteran presence He's still a great shot stopper. Um, he would be a great mentor to an Alex Tombakis. 
there's a lot of positives to that type of deal. Um, Salt Lake said nothing's been discussed. So, you know, we don't know where that goes. Maybe, maybe it's coming about because Atlanta feels like he'll be available in the expansion draft. And Grant Wall picked up on that and said, Oh, well, Atlanta United is interested in Raimondo because they have the first pick. We'll see. Uh, We'll see where this goes, but I don't hate it. I know we've talked about not wanting a lot of veterans, um, older veterans who are making a ton of money, Goalkeepers, one spot. We've talked about how important defense is. I don't hate this idea, and probably some of that is because I've, I've loved Nick Ramondo for years as a player. So it's it's Ramondo. I'm cool with it. That's fine with me. Um, <laughs> I I like the idea of Ramondo. I don't like the idea of paying how much Ramondo is going to cost. But if you can buy it down, then yeah, I'm I'm here for that. Um, you know, it's fine. Uh, speaking of guys who could or should be, as we got about five minutes left. Be on the national team. National team was released, Jason. Um, getting an idea of who is going to be there uh, over the next two really important games that we should really care about. Um, uh, yes. Including why is William Yarbrough there? Why is William Yarbrough there? And why isn't Ramondo? Why is it Bill Hamid? Nothing against Yarbrough. It's just like, why? Nah, he's the fourth guy in this group. You know, they brought in 26. Uh, Horvath okay with will be Horvath. The- the three. Yeah. Horvath will be the number three. It doesn't really matter who the fourth guy was. It's just for training. So it's just weird to me. Um, but anyway, um, of course there was the standard uh, omission because of injury of Chris Wondolowski, who will be uh, called into the, who will be called in in 2030. Mark my words. <laughs> oh, the rumor is that Beckerman was the same thing that, uh, Oh, yeah, you know, the same they, 2030. They were a little worried about his fitness. Now, Kyle Beckerman is a player that I think can still give you something. Um, Wondolowski, I think you've got enough other options now where you don't have to go there. But you, And you're getting there, too, at, at Central Mid. Um, you know, Beckerman should be passed now by Perry Kitchen, who's also not in the squad. Yeah, that's my main gripe. That's really my, my main gripe is Perry Kitchen's not here, and I demand blood. That's that's probably the biggest glaring omission to me. The other thing that it's it's been a consistent thing with with Klinsman in the the last few call up cycles. You know, you don't have a lot of true outside backs in this group. You have DeAndre Yedlin, you have Timmy Chandler, you have you know Fabian Johnson, who's a midfielder really playing outside back. Then you have quite a few center backs who can play outside in a pinch, but it's not the same thing. So. You know, Beasler can slide out, Burnbaum can slide out, but I don't like that option at all. Orozco can slide out, I don't like that option at all. So most of the yeah, talk, most you, of the thing I saw Orozco's name pop up, and everyone just picked up pitchforks. I mean, I, I'm not, not really in that justified, camp. but yeah, I mean, I'm not but, in that damn. camp. Orozco's, you know, he's he's not a starting level player with the U.S. national team at this point, which is a good thing. I think we've developed more and we felt past that but I don't think he's as bad as he gets credit for he kind of reminds me of Jonathan Bornstein towards the end of his run with the national team like everybody would go nuts about Bornstein and he's really not that bad and honestly you could probably look at him as an option at left back right now so there you go um it's just I don't know. I, that's always been one little thing about Klinsman lineups and or rosters that bug me is you just have a lot of guys who, you know, aren't true outside backs who are expected to play, you know, be cover there. So 
I would have probably shifted it around and looked at some other outside backs. Beyond that, you know, without Jeff Cameron, uh, you know, I think it's pretty much what was expected. You knew Nagby wasn't going to come into this one after he turned down the the friendly call-ups in October. Uh, Aaron Johansson, I guess, is a surprise, still coming back from injury. And, you know, has he done enough to to get this spot? You know, who could have went there instead? And maybe that was Wondolowski. Yeah, he did Beyond call that, Alan Gordon uh, Alan Gordon should have been called up more often, to be honest. I, I think Alan Gordon is one of the more underrated players in MLS history in that regard. Uh, I would like he, a lighthouse at center at the center attack. That'd be fine. Hey, when well, when we were playing that type of style and just booting it up to the, the middle of the other team's defense, it would have been nice to have had Alan Gordon. And Alan Gordon did help create a very essential goal in qualifying for us because of that. Oh, yeah. So, uh, um, Any other omissions? Any other compl- complaints? No, I, I think this is probably as close to what was expected as we've ever seen out of a, a Klinsman roster. So now the question the is, what do you do? <laughs> I know. I know. It's crazy. We're starting to predict this guy. Um, the question now is what you do with a lineup. You know, I think Tim Howard uh, was named as the number one, and he should be. He's playing well. Um Suzanne's not really playing, so Howard's your number one. Who do you, who replaces Jeff Cameron? Um, you know, you can expect Yedlin and Johnson on the outside and the back. Uh, who's going to play with John Brooks in the center? For me, it'd be Omar Gonzalez, especially against yeah, Mexico. Absolutely. Um, that's just a kind of a no-brainer to me. So they would probably be Burnbaum instead. Um, I, I think Omar's earned it. I think he has too. I, I think it should be Omar and Brooks, and that, that's where you go. The midfield, you've got a lot of questions. Do you, do you trust Jermaine Jones to give you 90 minutes? Uh, you saw what he gave today, which was more than expected, but not 90, and he's probably going to be feeling it. I wonder what the midfield is going to look like, and I wonder how they're going to pair the the forwards. Is it going to be Alcador and Wood again, or is it going to be Alcador and Jordan Morris? But Morris did come off with – what looked like a hamstring injury. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, that about wraps it up. Uh, We'll be back next week with another episode. Uh, Keeping up to date with what's going on. We'll probably have a lead in because of the excitement of the USA Mexico game coming up because we don't need sleep. We just need more stress in our lives. Um, (laughs) Well, yeah, it works out perfect because we'll have the, the Friday morning slot to preview us Mexico and any, any Atlanta United news that drops this week and, any other talk around the league. So it's a, it's a busy time. Lots of stuff happening. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thanks again, everybody for checking in with the Peachtree post. You can find us on Twitter at uh Peachtree post. Uh, you can check us out as well. Individually. Uh, he is Jason Longshore. You can be found at Longshoe. I'm Jarrett Smith. You can find me at Jarrett underscore Smith on Twitter. Send us your questions, send us your complaints, send us your praise. All of them are equally accepted. Check us out. Dirty South soccer. You can always go there to find your information on Atlanta United and other Atlanta soccer activities. Uh, you can find more of us as well on uh, iTunes. I think we're on Stitcher as well and a number of other places. Um, anyway, thanks again, everybody. Have a good night. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>